Father, we thank you this morning that your love truly does surround us. We're immersed in it, can never be separated from it. And like Jeremiah said on one occasion when things look really bad for his nation, devastated by an attacking enemy, his revelation of you in one of the worst hours of Israel's history was the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Think about that for a moment. Darkest moment in Israel's history. The walls of the city being broken down, the temple destroyed, and tens of thousands of Israelites are being exiled thousands of miles away to Babylon. It's a crazy situation. People are being killed, men and women and children are suffering the horrors of an invading horde of Babylonians. Jeremiah gets this incredible revelation at the worst hour, the darkest hour. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. There's a love that we have access to that doesn't depend on our feelings. It really doesn't. Whether you feel great today or whether you feel not so good, irrespective of how we feel, irrespective of the seasons that we go through, and we, we say this all the time to encourage ourselves because life is hard, right? We say this repeatedly, usually from the front. It's in lots of the songs that we sing, right? to remind us that this love is not dependent on our feelings. It's dependent on his faithfulness. Jeremiah, in the worst moment of his life, possibly, nation of Israel that he loved, precious people, God's people, being ravaged by an attacking band from Babylon with no mercy, In contrast to that, Jeremiah says, your faithfulness is here right now in this chaos as it is in the sunshine seasons of life. That's the faithfulness of God. So irrespective of how we feel, irrespective of the questions that we hold in our hearts, irrespective of anything that goes on in our lives, let us always be certain about one thing, the love of God that we can never be separated from. Amen. Amen. Let's thank our musicians this morning. Isn't it great that up here every week, come on, let's give them a big cheer, a big clap. What a blessing they are to us. And over the last two weeks, what a message Faye's given us from the book of Colossians. Absolutely awesome. If you have not listened to that yet, if you're joining us online, you haven't watched it yet, I encourage you to do that. I tell you, it's been such a blessing to me just to remind myself of it this week. What a great word, a great encouragement from Faye over the last past two weeks. You know, last week, you know, particularly for me, you know, just to hear that we have access to all of God's strength through his mighty power that we might be strengthened with endurance, that we might be strengthened with patience when working with people, that we might experience his wonderful joy in all of the ups and downs of life and also come out of it all with a great thankful heart for the reality of who he is in our lives. Go back over that word be encouraged by it and be strengthened 
by God's strength in every situation and circumstance that we face. It's a wonderful, wonderful word, so do that um, in, in your own time and be encouraged by it. Well, this morning, we're continuing in this series of messages that we've been looking at, our new life in Christ. And I want to take you back just a few weeks ago and remind you of what we were looking at together in the first two opening verses of Romans chapter 5, where Paul makes an incredible announcement, a declaration for all time and eternity regarding our position before God in Christ Jesus. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 again, to remind you of the wonderful privileges and position that we have before God in Christ. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul here is speaking with complete confidence and certainty regarding our immovable position before God in Christ. He was talking to believers at Rome. But equally, he's talking to you and I. This is the wonderful news, the glorious gospel that we carry, that we have heard, that we've believed, that we've received. This message that Paul spoke to believers at Rome is as relevant to us today regarding our lives and our position in Christ as it was to those many, many years ago. Now, Moments before this great announcement that Paul makes in Romans chapter 5, at the end of Romans chapter 4, I believe it's verse 25, he explains the great price and the great cost and the great provision that Jesus made on the cross when he died for us to bring us into this privileged position. Romans chapter 5 comes as a result of what Paul declares in Romans chapter 4. And at the end of Romans chapter 4, he says this, talking about the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus, he says, was delivered up for our offenses and was raised for our justification. And in light of that statement, he moves into Romans chapter 5 to show us the wonderful status, the wonderful position, and the wonderful placement that we have as a result of that now in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us that we have been justified by faith. Justification does not come as a result of your feelings. You can go and have a thousand different feelings in a matter of moments. If our salvation and our justification depended on how we feel today, well, one moment we might feel saved, the next moment we might not feel saved. There's a lot of, you know, issues that go on in our lives that would convince us or try to convince us otherwise. Paul tells us clearly that our justification is not based on our feelings. Our justification, thank God for it, is based on our faith in Jesus Christ, in the work, the finished work, and the final payment that he made on the cross when he died and also when God raised him from the dead. That's what our justification is completely dependent on, our, our faith in Christ's finished work. That's a fact. Your faith has facts to base your justification on, and it all points back to Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. He doesn't say that we are being justified progressively 
It's important to understand the language and what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 5. And we went through it well, but I tell you, we've got to remind ourselves of this. He doesn't say we will be justified one day in the, in the, you know, the sweet by and by as we become more faithful. No, he says we have been justified. Past tense, the moment you trust, the moment you place faith in Jesus Christ, you are justified. Justification isn't a progressive process moving you towards perfection. No, in Christ, it's immediate. In Christ, it's instantaneous. In Christ, it's finished, complete. Because of his work, not because of ours, because of his work on the cross. When God declares that we are justified, we saw that he is pronouncing that we are not guilty. You want an accurate description for your life? It's here in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. A beautiful description, an unchanging description, a truthful description spoken by Paul as he receives revelation from God by the Spirit. Not guilty. You're not guilty. You've got no right to your guilt. You've got no right to shame. You've got no right to hold on to condemning thoughts and condemning memories. You're justified. Pardoned from all wrong, declared innocent, made righteous. Justification is a legal pronouncement. Whether you feel it or not, whether you accept it today or not, the moment that you believed maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or five minutes ago, the moment that you believe, place your faith in Christ, you are justified, you are legally acquitted of any punishment in the court of heaven before God on the basis of the shed blood and the finished work of Christ Jesus to pay the penalty in full on your behalf. That's good news. That's good news. That's life-changing news. Hallelujah. Final verdict has been reached. God revealing himself in the Old Testament says, I am the Lord. I change not. I'm not a man that I should lie. I don't fluctuate between decisions. I'm not hot one minute and cold another. No, I change not. When God speaks, it is final. And regarding this verdict, regarding this, this, this all-time pronouncement, this judicial pronouncement over your life, it's eternal and it does not fluctuate. Whether you feel it, whether I feel it or not, whether circumstances move towards it or whether they're contrary to it, Irrespective of it all, this final declaration that God has made is eternal and unchangeable regarding your life. Acquitted of all wrong, no punishment, no doom. You're in the favor of God now. You're in the favor of God. Paul, in his writings, in his letters concentrates on the grace of God and the work of salvation. And as you read his letters and his epistles and, and, and the desire of his heart as he speaks to the church, you see it layered in so many ways, this word of grace, trying at all costs and all lengths to explain this wonder of salvation and grace in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he puts it this way. Verse 21 says this, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We looked at that extensively, that whole great exchange. We came bankrupt into, into the relationship. A huge debt had amounted that we could never pay. Jesus didn't owe anything. And yet he took our punishment and paid our debt in full. 
And there was an exchange of our sin to his account and God's righteousness to ours. It's amazing grace. It truly is. Then we moved. After we'd looked at Romans chapter 5 verse 1, we began to look at verse 2 where Paul continued to expand on the privileges that we have been given in Jesus. Verse 2, he says, we have access into this grace in which we stand. And we looked at that word access, if you remember, because it portrays a magnificent picture. The picture is of us being taken by the arm personally and introduced to God. Jesus comes and he takes us, not by groups or by couples, but he takes us individually by the arm and he introduces us to God. He gives us access into God's holy throne room and holy presence. And we saw how this introduction, and Paul explicitly teaches this, this introduction is not a one-off visit. You don't just go in and then come out never to return. No, you're in forever. You're introduced. You have access into the presence of God now forever. You'll never be banished. Because of the work and the way that Jesus has provided to the Father. We've been given permanent introduction into the very realm of God's holy presence. God's presence is your new place of residence because of what Jesus has done. We have access into this grace, he says, in which we stand. We looked at that word stand too. And Paul here is plainly plainly revealing that you can no longer you can't you can't ever be condemned you're standing in grace you're standing in unmerited favor at Christ's expense you're standing now forever in the kindness of God you can never be condemned you're standing on the ground of grace you can't be judged by God it's impossible because He's been punished for you and me. He's been condemned. And now you and I stand in the sheer, undeserved, incredible kindness and favor of God eternally. This word stand means stability, certainty, security, a place of solid footing, a place where you belong by right. This word stand speaks of a permanent, fixed, immovable position in God. And Paul comes with this wonderful revelation to tell the church that we are permanently and eternally standing in God's grace under his pleasure because of Jesus. <laughs> Doesn't it make you just want to love Jesus? Doesn't it make you just want to give praise to Jesus? Doesn't it make you just want to just shout the name of Jesus? Peter, when he was preaching in Acts chapter 4, said, there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, the lengths that he went to. To reach us. To save us. It's incredible. It really is. So that's a brief recap of what we looked at in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 and 2. But there's even more. Because what we're going to move into seeing today is how this grace in which we stand positionally. See, Paul was showing our position in which we stand in God as a result of Jesus' finished work. But what we're going to see today is not only where we stand positionally, but how grace empowers us practically to live our new life in Christ Jesus.
This grace not only gives us the privilege of standing before God positionally in Christ Jesus, but this grace comes down to help us. This grace comes down to the nitty-gritty, muddy road of life where we need assistance and help, and it comes to help us and to teach us and to be with us. Paul shows us that. In Titus chapter 2, Paul tells us that God's grace has made full provision for us in the past through Jesus. He also makes it clear that God's grace operates in the present here and now with all of the challenges and all of the changes and all of the choices that we have to make. Grace is on hand to help us. Paul shows us that in what he writes to Titus in chapter 2. And then looking forward, Paul sees how God's grace positions us for a glorious future ahead. Look back into your past, you should be able to see God's faith, God's grace. Look into your present, you should be able to sense it there around you, helping you, with you, supporting you, strengthening you. And when you look ahead into your future, Paul says, grace is there because it gives us blessed hope of the imminent return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Let me read to you from Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through to 15. Paul says this, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Paul here in just these four verses again, brilliantly gives us a complete summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the overarching message over everything he declares in these verses is God's grace is available to anyone at any time, anywhere. This is the power of the gospel that Paul was not ashamed of. This is the power of the gospel that Paul declared. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to those who would believe it, to those who would connect with it, to those who would just place simple faith in it. Immediate power, saving power will come into place in that individual's life to bring glory to God. Faith unlocks the power of God to save our lives. And Paul was not ashamed to proclaim this wonderful news and this wonderful gospel that he did so faithfully. Now in this brief passage of Scripture, in just four verses, Paul shows us four things about God's grace that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. We'll probably only have time to look at one today. But just to give you some structure as to these verses and what Paul is saying and what we're going to look at, let me give you just four areas that Paul covers in what we've read in Titus chapter 2. Firstly, Paul shows us that God's grace rescues us, saving us from sin. Then secondly, he emphasizes that God's grace reforms us in that it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Then thirdly, God's grace rewards us as it gives us eternal hope. And then finally, fourthly, we're going to see in the weeks to come how Paul assures us that God's grace redeems us, making us his very own. How amazing is God's grace? 
It rescued you. It's it's reforming you and reshaping you and remaking you. It's, it's rewarding in that the future ahead, we can be so expectant for it. And also, it's redeeming us. This grace of God, this unmerited favor in which we stand has rescued us. It's rescued us from the power of sin. It's reforming us, enabling us to say no to ungodliness and follow the will of God for our lives. Not only that, it's our reward because there's an expectation that the grace of God generates within us of the imminent return of Christ Jesus to this earth. <laughs> Hallelujah. And also, that grace is a redeeming grace because we are his very own. And we're going to look at this over the next few weeks, but can you imagine? Can you imagine now why John Newton sang those wonderful words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see was grace that brought me safe thus far and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed church, let, let us never ever get tired of relishing in the wonderful goodness of God's grace in Christ Jesus. Let us never forget about the wonder of the moment, each moment. As we experience God's goodness in all things that he's given to us in life. Never let that wonder grow stale. Never allow your, your mind or your life to be taken away from the simplicity of it. It's amazing grace. And it's a grace that gives us great expectation. Allow nothing to take away that wonderful expectation that God has given you in Christ Jesus of his return. One day he will come back. And it's this hope that purifies us. It's this hope that keeps us on track, moving towards that moment. But for the remainder of our time this morning, we're going to focus on the first point of how God's grace rescues us, saving us from sin. Listen to Paul's words again in verse 11 of Titus chapter 2 about God's grace. He says this, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Grace has appeared, he says, or literally grace has shone out in all of its fullness. It's shone out into the darkness and the despair of human experience. It's shone out into the despair and the darkness of human brokenness, offering salvation for our brokenness, for our chaos, for all of the destructive tendencies that we have in life. Paul says grace has appeared and it's shone out. And the offer is the offer of salvation for all of our destructive tendencies. For all of the, of the brokenness and the chaos of humanity. God didn't sit on the sidelines condemning and critiquing how we've gone wrong. No, he sent Jesus. John chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Salvation has appeared, Paul says. Gloriously appeared. So that who will ever receive so that who whosoever receives this offer in simplicity of faith will be saved 
and experience the power and glory of this salvation. Listen to how Paul describes this salvation in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 verse 22 to verse 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I mean, this guy just keeps coming at it, describing it in whatever way that he can as God's Spirit reveals the glory and wonder of this saving grace. Wages of sin death and destruction, but this wonderful salvation that's appeared for all men and women everywhere means that we can have eternal life in him. This word salvation that Paul used so many times is rich and vast in its meaning. And to define it, you can't even scratch the surface of it. God's provision of salvation in Christ covers every need that humanity will ever experience. It's more than adequate to meet any need, big or small. Salvation is God taking action with all of his power, with all of his might, to deliver us from any and every curse in life. In it, there's complete forgiveness. And the remembering of sin, no more. Salvation means freedom from slavery and oppression. Liberty to live free from fear in joy and peace of a new life provided by it. Salvation means wholeness. Wholeness from every sickness and disease that plagues man. An eternal life forevermore as we move beyond this world into the next world in God's kingdom. This salvation that comes to us as a result of Christ's finished work on the cross when he paid in full our debt once and for all. This salvation can never be drained, can never be exhausted by any human need. It's more than a match to provide everything for us. In Romans chapter 8, Paul again, giving a different angle about the wonderful abundance of this provision of salvation. In Romans 8.32, I believe it is, he says this, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he now, not with him, how will he now, with not, how will he now with him freely give us all things? All things are yours as a result of God giving his son. The provision is immense. The provision is abundance. Abundant. The provision is inexhaustible. It's saving grace to meet every need of the human heart. It really is. When we look at Jesus, we see how salvation operates. Something that's so indefinable, undefinable. Something that is so incredible. It's hard to capture it. It's hard to convey it. But when you look at Jesus, you see the wonder of it. John the Apostle in the opening introduction of his gospel in chapter 1, talking about Jesus, said this, we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. What's salvation like, John? What's Jesus like, John? Well, all I can tell you is it's wrapped up in the word glory. How do you explain glory, John? Well, you can't really. You've just got to watch him. You've just got to witness him work and do what only he can do. 
And that's what they did. And that's what we've done as we've seen this salvation, this saving work operating in our lives. We've witnessed it. If you want to see salvation and all of the wonderful colors and dimensions of it, read the Gospels. Go into them. Sit there as a witness as you watch Jesus go into tragic life experiences. As you watch him meet chaos head on. As you see him go into the pain of human suffering and despair. People abandoned. People helpless. People hopeless. When you watch him freely display and give and bless others with saving grace, you begin to understand that it is completely undefinable and off the chart and indescribable. Mark chapter 5. Jesus travels by boat over the sea. You know the story well. They encounter a storm in the middle of the night. But that doesn't stop him. He's on assignment. He sensed a heavy burden from his father to meet a man that everybody had rejected. And everybody had left on a rubbish tip. Nobody wanted to be with. He was an outcast. This man that Jesus was going to meet. And really Jesus was the only man that was willing to go the extra mile to meet him. The disciples didn't know where they were going. They just knew that they had to go to the other side. Maybe if they knew that they were going to meet the madman of Gadara who ran about in a graveyard naked, in ch chained up and cutting himself because he was insane, maybe they would have recoiled and backed off and stayed on the shore. But Jesus said to them, let's go over to the other side. You can't, I tell you now, you, you can't understand the power of this salvation. You can't understand the lengths that it will go to. You can't understand the drive and the power and the zeal that it has and the love that's unconditional that just wants to get to a person that's the, 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 the butt of everybody's jokes and left outside and given up on. Jesus goes through the storm, brings peace and order to it, and then he's off the boat and no sooner as he's off the ship, this crazy guy comes running to him. Mad. Insane. And with a word, Jesus casts out legions of devils. Suddenly, the man is in his right mind. That's what the witnesses said. They were watching, like we would watch. Like we see God do incredible things in the friends that we see him save. And in the lives that we live. These witnesses were watching these disciples and they said, he's insane, he's mad, he's enchained, he's naked, he's cut, he's a self-harmer. And one encounter with salvation, one encounter with the God of all grace... He's restored in his right mind, clothed on his way home. But before he gets home, he goes through five cities to tell everybody about the power and the glory of this salvation. Or go to Luke chapter 5. If they give you a bit of homework last week, I'm going to give you a bit now. So you've got to read Mark chapter 5. Read about Jesus going through the storm to meet the madman of Gadara who was living in tombs. Mad kind of crazy life. And then you go to Luke chapter 5. You see another dimension of this salvation. It's got so many facets. They're innumerable. It can work in every life situation. And reform it. And change it. And bring glory to God in it. Four guys on a roof. Ripping the roof off to lower their friend down on a mat. I mean, it's a pathetic sight. There's religious people that are listening to Jesus and questioning him. But you look at Luke chapter 5 and there's, there's just a statement that's arresting when you read it. 
says the power of the Lord was present to heal on Jesus. My God. I tell you now, the power of the Lord was present on Jesus to heal. They wanted a little religious study. And many may have been offended by what was happening. But Jesus saw faith and for this faith he came. They lowered the man down on the mattress and suddenly Jesus looks at him and he sees the pitiful condition, the helpless condition that this man was in. He went to, he went, he went, he crossed a sea to find an abandoned man and now he's in a religious service that has no life in it and he's reaching out to a helpless man. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. My God. It was like stepping on a landmine inside the, peop the religious people. They start freaking out. Only God, only God can forgive sins. That's right. That's why I said it. Because I'm God in the flesh. <laughs> Woo! He said, if you think the Son of Man hasn't got authority on earth to forgive sins. Watch this. Is it easier to say this? Well, I'll go for it. Son, get up and take that bed that you've been lowered down on out. Guy jumps up. I mean, you just got to sit in that room. Sorry for spitting. Sit in that room. Witness it. Watch it. I, I go in there. I go in there. I, I sit there. I think, my God, this is just, whoa. I think the, I mean, the guy must have been going ballistic. And he, off, off he goes. Go and party with your friends. Salvation, salvation. It helps an abandoned man. It helps a helpless man. And it reached even to the depths of a hopeless man. It appears, you see. It appears. It appears. We can't put it in a box. And I thank God that in this family, we've never put it in a box. We're not saying that, you know, it only, it only fits one need and it only addresses one type of person. No, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Bring all of your life condition. Bring all of your history. Bring all of your tragedy of your human experience, if you call on his name, he will change your history because your history will come into contact with his saving grace and everything will become new. Just calling on his name. Jesus reaches a hopeless man. I can ask the musicians to come. We're going to close. He reaches a hopeless man in the darkest moment of life, Jesus is on the cross. I mean, he has no concern for his own needs. That in itself is astounding. He knows why he's on that cross. The Bible says that the hands of wicked men took hold of him and put him on the cross. And yet, through their actions, the predetermined plan of God was fulfilled. We put him on the cross. We all put him on it. And he took it. Worst moment in history, the darkest hour, Christ Bearing the judgment of God for my sin. Christ Jesus. Bearing all of the demonic host. Upon his body and his mind. As thousands of years of sinful history. All converged at once. On the all atoning sacrifice of Christ. On the cross. Placed once for all forever on him in one moment and then he had to go into hell and yet the cry the cry of a man next to him 
who was being punished for sins that he had committed, a thief whispered in his pain and in his broken heart. This is all he said. Jesus, remember me. It got the attention. It got the attention of the Savior. You see, that's why he'd appeared. He'd appeared to offer salvation. And that broken cry, remember me, got the attention of Jesus. And an assurance and an answer that only God can give. Today, he said, Jesus, today. Imagine having a conversation on the cross when your back has been ripped apart, your head and your brow is cut open with, a, with all of the thorns that they pressed into it. Your, your side is weeping blood and water, nails through your hands and your, your feet. He has a conversation with the man, assuring him it's so short. But this conversation from the Savior with this thief assures him of eternal salvation, that saving grace. Today, son, you will be with me in paradise. Not you might be. No, you've placed your faith in me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. This man couldn't rehabilitate his life. This man couldn't work for salvation. His hands were pierced to the cross and his feet were nailed firmly fast. He couldn't do anything for his salvation in, relay, in relation to good works. No, it was saving grace that saved this man by the simple cry of faith and trust in our loving Savior, Jesus. And this is why. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 said this, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That man could do nothing to save himself. That man could not rehabilitate his lifestyle. That man could not go back into the past and change things that he shouldn't have done. He was being punished and yet that simple cry of faith to the Savior instantaneously put him on the ground of grace that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 5. Instantaneously, salvation was given to him by grace through faith. Amen. Jesus, we know from reading Hebrews, is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Do you believe that? He's the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. He still wants to go to the abandoned. He still wants to go to the helpless. He still wants to go to the hopeless. But now he's going to make the trip through you and me. He really is. And I believe in the days to come. I said this in the last service. I believe in the days to come that all of us are going to see the saving power of God's goodness, the saving power of God's grace as we speak to our friends, as we speak to family members, as just they question us about the brightness in our eyes and the smile on our faith, face and the good works of our hand as they question us the saving grace of God's goodness in Christ Jesus. It's going to reach them and they're going to be saved as a result of the message that we carry regarding God's goodness. Jesus is going to take a trip through you. He's going to take a trip through, through me to reach, to reach those who are lost. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Just before I pray, let me just finish with this story because I was so encouraged by it. It just shows you how unusual God can work in ways that kind of just blow your mind. I was talking to my mum recently, and we were just talking together and thanking God 
together for his saving grace, his salvation. How we've seen it in our family from, from my grandfather as God's spirit reached into his home. He was, his father was a drunkard and his father used to beat his wife. My, my grandfather witnessed all of that as a young teenager. And if he'd have been left to his own devices, who'd have known what would have happened? But God, in his grace, pulled him out, pulled him out and saved him. He met my nan. She was born again. But again, from a family, and she was illegitimate as a child. Didn't know who her mum and dad was. God's saving grace pulled her out. Brought them together. And my father was born over the years. He grew up complete rebel. But God touched his life. He was angry with God. Didn't want anything to do with God. Cursed God. And was heading to, to a hopeless end. And yet God... One night, hit him with the power of the Holy Ghost. Changed his life forever. He became a minister of the gospel like my grandfather became a minister of the gospel. Why? Because of God's saving grace, they couldn't hold back the great news of God's work in their lives. Well, as my father began to witness, tell people in Ebervale, he'd go out into the square and they'd have like open airs like we would have in... in um, Friars walk. Just, you know, tell people about God's love. And every now and again, he'd see a man called Peter. Peter, Jesus loves you. Oh, John, I'm not interested in that. It's a load of rubbish. You don't believe in God, do you? You don't believe in Jesus. John, I haven't got time for that. And then a couple of months ago by, Peter, don't forget, boy, Jesus loves you. Oh, John, I... I'm too busy going down the pub. Oh, there's no such thing. His mum and dad were born again. Peter's mum and dad. And Peter's mum and dad used to pray. Used to get on their knees and cry for their boy. Because they knew the power of salvation. They knew that it was real. They knew that it could touch his life. They knew that it, could, it was the only thing available that has appeared that could save him. One night... Peter's going out, partying. Because that's what Peter did. Living it good. Down the pub, chucking back a couple of pints. And I think he might have been in, you know, his second pint. Then all of a sudden, power of God hits him in the pub. Hits him on the floor. Peter starts crying. And he's inconsolable. Nobody can get any sense out of Peter. They don't know what's going on. They've never seen anything like it. What's happened? Well, Peter's mum and dad have been praying. And actually, the Holy Ghost sometimes goes down the pub. And on this night, he went down the pub. He hit Peter on his face. And this young man that had been irreverent to God, this young man that had cursed God, now was crying and could not articulate why. He was being convicted of the Holy Ghost. I tell you, when the Holy Ghost comes and he begins to awaken people up in their, in their lives and in their minds and he begins to convict them of sin and of righteousness and the judgment to come, I tell you now, you'll never shake it free. And this man couldn't shake it free. People in the pub thought, we can't have this. Rung his mum and dad up. His dad comes down, collects Peter, puts him in the car. They didn't know what went on. This guy said to, to uh, Peter's father, said, look, I'm going to take you to see John Edwards. He ended up in my dad's flat. My dad looked at him and Peter still cannot talk. He's inconsolable, right? Because he's under the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. Because mum and dad have prayed and prayer works. <laughs> he's there. My dad said to him, didn't give him a sermon. This is the simplest thing in the world. He said, Peter, he said, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Yes! Yes! He said, 
Yes! Oh my God, he just asked Jesus into his heart. Immediately, joy, salvation came into his heart, changed his life, and he ended up being a missionary in Uruguay. That's what the saving power of Jesus will do through the power of the Holy Ghost. And we're going to see a lot more of it. I tell you, we are going to see a lot more of the saving power of God's grace in people's lives. And you wait till you see the people stand up here declaring what God has saved them from. We are going to see it. I'm telling you. Because when man has done everything he can do and failed, that's when God gets to work. And God is going to step up, I'm telling you, and he's going to do what only he can do. It's not by might, Zechariah said. It is not by power. It is by my spirit, says the Lord. And all over Wales, all over the United Kingdom, all over Europe, we are going to see a deluge of Holy Ghost power where God is going to take control and he's going to wrap this thing up. And I tell you, people en masse are going to give praise to the God who has appeared and offers salvation to all and anyone who will receive it. Amen. Woohoo! Fantastic. Well, that's, that one's done. There's another one done. But listen, as we close now, in a moment, Faye's going to pray going to give you an opportunity to open the door of your heart, place faith in Jesus to be your Savior. Your life's never going to be the same. Uh, never going to be the same. It's never going to be the same. You're going to get peace with God. You're going to stand in grace. You're going to get an introduction into this presence of God that you're never, ever going to have to leave. It's wonderful. So ready your heart. And for us who are already in this grace, let's go out into our world now. Let's go out into our world and just be at rest, be at peace. See the opportunities of the harvest. Reach those who have been abandoned. Reach those who are helpless, who are the butt of other people's jokes. Reach those who are hopeless. Wherever you find yourself, just be aware and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into those opportunities where we can bring salvation and the message of this good news to others who don't know him. Amen. Father, thank you today for your people. Thank you for their openness of heart. Thank you, Lord. It's, it's so easy to minister into your family and those watching online. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, we want to be heralds of this wonderful news. We want to attest to it and be witnesses of it and see the saving power of it. Change communities, change cities, and change this nation and this world. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet, give God praise. What an awesome morning. Just like Dave said, you may be here this morning and you've not experienced the salvation that Dave's talked about found in Jesus today. And I would love to lead you in a prayer for salvation. We've just sang about it. It's like this new life that you enter into when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. And the brilliant thing is, is God's not looking for you to change your life, to clean it up before he accepts you. He actually says before any of that, I just love you unconditionally. And all his requirement for us is, is for us to place our faith in him and believe on the name of Jesus. So if you're in here today or you're watching online and you say, do you know what? I need new life. I need a new life. Then why don't you pray this prayer inviting Jesus into your life? Why don't you say something like this? Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me unconditionally. Thank you that you were prepared to die on the cross for my sins so that I could have a relationship with you. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. I want to believe in you and I want to have a new life that's found in you. If you prayed that prayer 
as simple as it is, I want to let you know that you have made the best decision that you possibly could have made for your life. And just watch what Jesus is going to do for you and in you and through you. And our advice would be to just keep coming back to church. Surround yourself with people that love Jesus and you'll see amazing things happen. On your way out, if you're in the building, we've got a Bible that we would love to give you and also a magazine filled with people who've got stories just like you who have made that same decision and seen Jesus do amazing things in their life. And you're, if you're watching, online why don't you message us and we can get you a bible and a magazine out and you can be blessed by that